Welcome to The Lens, hosted by Catalysis, where we get a glimpse inside healthcare organizations that are transforming to a culture of improvement to deliver continually higher value outcomes for patients, staff, and communities. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens for more information about Catalysis. Welcome back to The Lens. I'm your host, Peter Mariahazi. Today, it is my pleasure to be joined by Dr. Lee Erickson. She's a Senior VP and quali Chief Quality Officer at Tufts Medicine in Massachusetts. Previously, Lee was on The Lens talking about root cause analysis. Today, she will talk to us about integrated daily management systems and tiered huddles and how they're all interconnected to improve all outcomes. She also talks about how everyone must be involved and standard work for a root cause analysis process should be developed. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So let's start off. You are, you know, you were on the lens before, as I mentioned. And, and so tell us a little, tell our listeners a little bit about what you've been up to since the last time you visited the lens and, and Tufts Healthcare. Yeah, yeah. So uh, since the last time I have a, a new job. Um, the, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm, I'm having a ball. It's just, it's, it's a little strange how wonderful the new job is. You know, um, I joined Tufts Medicine just about a year ago as their first ever systems chief quality officer, which is a lot of fun for me because I get to build things and, you know, reinvent. And I like creating new stuff. Um, I also like fixing old stuff. So it's it's been a really good fit. And the people are amazing. And they're very interested in lean management for healthcare. And that's, you know, like we were just saying, it's my jam. So cool. Cool. Fun. So it sounds yeah. like you have a green field there at Tufts to, to build. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. It should be fun. So, so you presented at the summit, you were a keynote and, and you shared a, a story about a C. Div outbreak that you had, and it mm -hmm. lasted four weeks. And, and I thought as I, as I listened to that story, I thought it was very telling about some of the philosophies you share and you teach. Can you, can you share that story with everybody? Yeah, that one has stuck with me for years. It was quite some time ago when I was living in Pittsburgh and, and doing lean healthcare transformation work at one of the health systems in Pittsburgh in the suburbs. And we had an outbreak of C. diff at one of our community hospitals that we really just couldn't figure out. You know, we'd been doing relatively well. It's one of the hospital acquired infections, everybody tracks. And all of a sudden, bam, our infection rates exploded. And it went on for three or four weeks until one morning at one of the huddles on a Monday morning, one of the environmental services workers was participating in the huddle and was listening to the infection control people and the nurses talk about the C. diff outbreak briefly. And he you know, it's a huddle board and we've got graphs and we had a graph up there of the C. diff rates and you could just see it climbing for the last four weeks. And he leans forward and goes, wait, is this when it started? And he like points at the date on the graph where the line starts going up and everybody in the huddle is like, yeah. And he goes, well, I've been away for three or four weeks. He was out on leave. But if I remember right, isn't that the week we changed cleaning products? <laughs> And everybody at the huddle looked at him and went, 
what do you mean we change cleaning products? And it turns out some bright enterprising person in supply chain found a thing that was cheaper and just swapped it out without talking to anybody. And it didn't have bleach in it. And it never occurred to anybody in quality and patient safety or infection control that somebody would do this. Like it just never even dawned on them because a few years before they had all had these big supply chain meetings and agreed, this is the kind of product we need. This is what it does for the infection, yada, yada, yada. People were stunned and solved the problem. That's what had caused the C. diff outbreak. But the thing that really resonated for me was these huddles, because it was a lean daily management system, you know, with these tiered cascading messaging huddles that were truly interdisciplinary. They were not, yes, the nurses have a huddle at change of shift huddles. They were true lean daily management huddles with pillars where we looked at everything, safety metrics, quality, ease of getting work done, productivity metrics, finance metrics, all of it. And everyone participated. I mean, our janitorial staff, our transport people, the nurses, a, a physician who was sort of the lead for that particular floor's huddle, secretaries, everybody participated. And for me, it was one of those aha moments that you really do have to have these multifunctional, you know, cross-functional, multidisciplinary teams to problem solve. Because each person who touches a process has their perspective on how it works. And you can't see it, how it works for the patient, unless you have everybody assembled together. I just, I just love that story because to me, it exemplifies the critical nature of systemic thinking, right? Mm -hmm. You had two components there. You had the environmental staff person who knew something and could make that connection. But then I'm assuming the process then got reviewed and said, okay, in supply chain, if you want to change something, yeah, you know, let's close the loop and make sure there's exactly. an unintended consequence, which yeah. again, removes waste from the system and most right. importantly, reduces the risk of harm, which is key. Exactly. Yep. So thank you for sharing that. So <clears throat> you talked about also in the presentation, there are pillars you use for the huddles that include safety, quality, friction, people, and cost. Mm -hmm. Talk about the flow in a huddle, because I thought there was kind of a, a prioritization you guys used. There was, was, yeah. very interesting. Yeah, I've, you know, we've all seen hundreds of huddle boards as we've learned from each other. We go do Gemba visits with each other. We share photographs. We talk about it. But this particular version of a huddle board came to us with the consultant that was helping us develop our lean management system. And there they had six pillars. We adopted their six because we like them very much. And I have kind of stuck with them ever since. They were safety, quality, productivity, which is the friction piece. It's not the finance productivity of like how many FTEs can we cut and get the same amount of work done. It's the how easy was it to get the work done. So safety, quality, productivity, people, your talent pillar. Cost was the fifth one, which really ticked off our CFO. And then the sixth was a measure of how we were doing on our transformation journey. And they were in order that way on purpose. So every morning the huddle script went, have we had any safety qualities and problems in the last 24 hours? Have we had any quality problems in the last 24 hours? And you go down each pillar. But if there was a safety problem, that 
trumped everything else on the agenda that day, and you had to have a countermeasure in place within 24 hours. If it was a quality problem, that was your second priority, and you had 48 hours to come up with at least a short-term countermeasure until you really redesigned. Productivity was the third. We gave that one 72 hours. And then the other three, you got to when you got to. Um, it was very interesting because, again, our CFO was really mad. What do you mean you're not going to do finance every day? I'm like, yeah, well, not until safety, quality, and productivity are stable will we start doing the other ones. And it it took a while. I mean, it took 12, 18, 24 months before we really started feeling like things were stabilizing and we would actually tackle people or cost things. Um, what it did for us, though, was made clear to the organization, safety is first. The other thing that we did was each of those pillars, we limited to two metrics so that you couldn't have more than 12 as an organization, which was way too many. But not every frontline unit had to have two. They were fine if they just had one each, but the two gave them some flexibility. And safety had to be two because the first one was a patient safety measurement and the second was an employee safety measurement. And you weren't allowed to only pick one or the other. You had to have both. Um, because we felt it was really, really important. And, you know, we got this from Paul O'Neill and his mentorship. If we don't take care of the safety of our workers, we can talk all we want about the safety of our patients, but we're not really being very honest that safety matters. And so you had to have them both. And that's yeah. a great point, Lee, because that's, that's a theme I've heard from the recent podcast, especially with everything going on with COVID. Mm -hmm. We got to take care of the caregivers as exactly. well as take care of the patients. And if yeah. we don't, then our problems will be exponentially worse. Yes. And, yeah. and we're, we're the, the emotional toil is going to be just insurmountable. So yeah. thank you for, for that perspective. Mm -hmm. So that ties into, you know, that we talk regularly about the humility of leadership and how it plays a critical role in everyone being engaged in improvement. So. How does that work for you at Tufts and in your experience? We're, we're very early in our journey with lean management and the lean culture at Tufts. Although I will say one of the things that attracted me to the organization was the humility that the leadership already has. Um, they have done an excellent job of recruiting, promoting, and retaining leaders who kind of get the concept of being a servant leader. Um, what I'm seeing happening now is that's becoming more apparent. It's becoming more visible. We, we have conversations about it. We have just concluded a, a long period of time rethinking the system's mission, vision, and values. Um, I love the vision that we want to create the most equitable and frictionless healthcare experience in the world. I, I love it. Um, but our leadership, you know, from our system CEO down is now having conversations. All right, if that's our vision, these are our values. What are we going to do as leaders to embody them? Not just say them and print them on a little card to hang from your ID lanyard, but actually role model them. and 
show them in the organization. And we'll, we'll do that in an intentional way as we begin to roll out our lean management system and leader standard work, you know, leader rounding, going to Gemba, talking to people is how you show respect. It's how you practice your humble inquiry or appreciative inquiry. It's how you train yourself out of the command and control. I know how to fix it, do, do it this way and begin to practice being a coach of solvers. You know, because that's really a leader's role in in this kind of culture and this kind of management system. Our job is to take care of the people who take care of the patients. They know what to do. If if we make their lives easier, they'll they'll do a great job taking care of the patients. Um, and so we need to practice that as leaders. And that means you no longer get to be the boss because you have all the answers or you're the smartest or the loudest voice in the room. You get to be the boss because you're the best coach of the talent in your organization. Yep. And, and as it said, you know, some people will believe what you say, but everyone will believe what you do. Exactly. And your behaviors are critical. So yeah. one of the things, and part of that is, cause I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying the theme of engagement at all levels and getting mm -hmm. everybody involved. So you also talked in your presentation about root cause analysis teams. And you also talked yeah. about them being there's cross-training and creating an interdisciplinary root cause analysis team. Yes. And, and that's a concept that I think not a lot of organizations think about as far yeah. as, hey, help us. And, and I loved how when you presented, I'm going to ask you to talk about that, is helping the area learn to do their root cause analysis as opposed to coming in yes. and solving, which is also humility. So can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, the last time we chatted, we talked about how a lean management system is your patient safety program. And if you leverage it well, you can actually reduce the number of big heavy lift RCAs that you do. It, it struck me many years ago that what we do for problem solving, for process improvement, should be the same thing that we do for responding to serious safety events or patterns of latent failures that could lead to a big event. They're the same thing. I mean, it's just applying scientific method to what's not working right. The only difference is, did it actually hurt somebody? In which case we call it an RCA and get risk management involved. Or is it just a latent thing or a thing that's bothering the docs or the nurses? So we'll fix it where you get the process improvement people involved. And it just struck me as this is silly that they're two separate parallel tracks. So we started bringing them together and cross-trained our risk managers and our process engineering and quality improvement staff and taught them all how to look at work from a lean lens, you know, sort of eliminate waste, how to redesign work using Steve Spears sort of four rules in use that so many of us are familiar with. And it, you know, it occurred to me, those rules, you know, that you have to have highly specified activities and everybody knows what the sequence and the timing and the the way to do it and the expected outcome looks like, that's just standard work, right? The rule that all communications need to have predetermined path, no, I heard you, yes, you heard me correctly, confirmation, closed loops, that your pathways should be simple and direct. Everybody knows where the path goes, the road signs are clear, there aren't loops and forks. Those are actually design principles for high reliability design. So why aren't we doing this in our patient safety world? So we cross-trained everybody how to look at waste, how to follow those rules of design. We 
some of the risk managers were a little more skilled at the disclosure piece when something went wrong. So they helped our process engineers and quality improvement people learn those skills. We taught them crucial conversations. Um, we created standard work for how to do an RCA and got everybody on board sort of it was a co-created thing with an interdisciplinary team everybody who's involved in this kind of work and we stopped this well risk management will do the investigation and then they'll hand it to process improvement to do a project so no 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 every rca is a whole a3 the whole thing to be complete and every rca had a team of investigators it was a pair a lean sort of process improvement engineer and a risk manager and the engineer's focus as they dug into the event was really looking at the process. Where were the latent failures in the process? What do we need to redesign? And the risk manager, because they were a little more comfortable and this was their skill set, focused more on the how do we protect everything that we're learning from discovery and keep us from losing our shirt in court, keep us off the front page of the newspaper? How do we disclose to the family? How do we sort of structure the learning so that it's safe for the organization, safe for the people who are involved in the error and safe for the family and the patient that we're disclosing it to. And really thinking lean, you always include the voice of your customer in your process design work. We actually started including patients and families in our RCA investigations, which was life-changing in some ways, you know, not everybody wanted to participate. You know, some families were so angry or so difficult it would have been disruptive, but if they were amenable and were interested in helping us make sure it didn't happen to anybody else, we would interview them as part of the RCA. We disclosed everything we found. I shared the A3 with them. We talked about what we were gonna redesign. We got their input into the redesign. You know, would this work for you? What do you think about a patient's perspective here? It was, it was interesting. Um, and I would never go back to doing it the old way. Yeah. I, I just think that's fascinating because it is, there's a hesitancy in any industry to say, hey, let's, you know, we, we had a, a less than positive experience. Let's involve the customer who had that experience and, and yeah. help us redesign it. That's not an intuitive way of thinking. So I can see yeah. how that was a, a paradigm shift. So yeah. from, back to the cross interdisciplinary and cross functional yeah. RCA teams. What are some other benefits that you've seen from, from building that? We got faster. Um, the, the standard work for the RCA, and that helped with the speed. But the real thing that helped with the speed is when they began working together on these interdisciplinary teams, guess what happened? They got to know each other. <laughs> and so Actually talk to each other. They, I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, pick up the phone. How revolutionary, right? And so when something did come up, they never hesitated to just call each other so much quicker than, well, I sent an email three weeks ago and they never answered me. Just pick up the phone or better yet, get out of your chair, walk down the hall and go talk to them, you know. And, and so it, it helped with collaboration. It made people more, dis, more comfortable with disclosing information because risk management helped us protect it. So people knew they could share in a secure way without fear of retaliation or, and discovery. And so it, it made information flow a lot better too. 
you know that you bring up a good point because that has been a theme a couple of times where the concept of psychological safety mm -hmm. for the frontline people that yeah. you know sometimes the the one up or two up or three up probably shouldn't be there so that they can feel more free in speaking yeah. so in in the evolution of the RCA you talked about performing a triage on an event and determine local review, apparent cause analysis, right. or full RCA. Right. <clears throat> what did this kind of do downstream as that got implemented? How, what are the benefits there from doing that kind of triage and, yeah. and going on? What are some of the benefits? Well, as you begin to build problem solving skills in your workforce with your lean management system, you begin to realize not everything needs a big RCA. There are lots of smaller things that are safety concerns, but they really just need some redesign. And guess what? Your front lines know how to do some of that now. Your managers and directors know how to do some of that now. So let them do it. And they do a good job. If you've done your homework and given them good skill sets and the support from leaders to do those tests of change, they do a very good job. And so you can triage your events and save your real heavy lifts, you know, where you're going to bring in a human factors engineer and really start redesigning or maybe purchasing new equipment or all the really costly big redesign projects that are often needed with a serious, you know, Sentinel event. You can free people's time up so they can do those big ones because you're front lines and management layer of your organization is doing the continuous daily improvement. And why wouldn't you do that for safety concerns just like you do it for all your other kinds of problems? In fact, I think most of the problems that lean teams work on solving are patient safety problems. I mean, a lot of the reasons patients get hurt is because the process was so riddled with waste. People came up with workarounds to keep themselves sane and get through the day. And oops, that wasn't the safest thing to choose to do. We made it too hard to do it right. <clears throat> and so you can triage and leave the smaller stuff, you know, the, the just do it. I think we ended up naming them that because one of our managers, when we were talking about some of the events said to us, well, yeah, but that's, I'm like the unit manager. I just do that. And we kind of went, yes, those are just do it. <laughs> The patient safety and quality improvement staff don't need to do those. That's why your title has the word manager in it. You you manage those as part yeah. of your day job, you know? Yeah. Well, it sounds like it also frees up the resources as, as we've used the phrase in the past to operate at the highest level of their license, right? Yes. So if your process improvement people are really working on the big rocks and boulders, as we call yeah. them, and the managers and the line staff can really do the just do it. Yeah. Boy, the efficiencies and quite frankly, I would imagine the job satisfaction and engagement yes. has got to go up. Because if I feel that, and again, they may run into something, but they can raise their hand and say, I need a little help with this part of it because mm -hmm. I want to make sure I'm doing it the right way. But once yeah. they're trained, boy, oh boy. So, and you talked about, you went through a transitional process of helping them those line leaders with their own areas of quality improvement. Mm -hmm. How did you help them with that transition? Because you, you in your presentation, spoke about some very specific, yeah, kind of, kind of loosening up the leash a little bit, if you will. Yeah, yeah, you have to recognize that it's a journey. You know, it's not going to happen just because you announced it. Suddenly, everybody knows how to do it. 
Um, it took us a couple of years to get our unit managers, their supervisors, and their directors comfortable with this. And so when we explained our triage algorithm, this is what a just do it is. Just you're the manager, just go fix it. We explained what a big heavy root cause was, sentinel event, or it would have been a sentinel event, but we were just dumb lucky somebody noticed before you got hurt. Those require the big RCAs. And then there's all this other stuff that's sort of vaguely in the middle. And we talked about doing an apparent cause analysis. We, we actually took our A3 template and lightened it up a little bit with fewer requirements and just said, you think the cause is apparent? So just do a rapid test to change to fix it and see if it works. In the beginning, they're like, I don't know how to do that. What's, wait, an ACA, what's that? Wait, oh, that A3, that's the thing you showed me in that class that I've never thought about since I left the class. So we had, we had a team of process improvement, you know, sort of lean coaches. And it, in Philly, we call them improvement advisors. And they were assigned to areas in the organization. So we had an improvement advisor whose portfolio of work was all of our cardiovascular care, inpatient, operative, ambulatory, cardio. And we did it that way so they would build relationships with the front lines and the leaders in that service line. So we'd be monitoring our safety events. Something would happen, say, in our coronary care, critical care unit. They needed to do an ACA the improvement advisor who had the cardiovascular service line, well, I'll help you do it. We'll help you through the first one. Maybe they need a few more coaching sessions for the next couple. And then after a while, the manager's like, I got it. And, and you knew you were getting somewhere when they would say, oh, I already started the ACA. I'm going to bring it to you next week. You know, and you're like, do you need any help? No, no, I got it. I got it. You know, it, but it's, it's a journey. It takes time and you have to be intentional about the support infrastructure you can bring for them. You know, you don't just, it's like rolling out your daily management system. You don't just throw a huddle board up on the wall and say, have at it. You send them a coach to sort of help them facilitate the huddles until they get good at it and give them feedback. And then part of the leader standard work is to drop in on the huddles with a regular cadence and support them in doing it and learn from each other. And so you need to do the same as you roll out this aspect, tying patient safety into your lean management system. Yeah. And to me, the analogy is it's, it's not flipping a light switch. It's mm -mm. turning the dimmer up. So exactly. that you're slowly making it. And, and I like, and I, and I think it's incredibly powerful how you weave that psychological safety. You're giving them the comfort. So you mentioned mm -hmm. connecting certain individuals with certain departments. Well, mm -hmm. then they become familiar. You're exactly. much more likely to raise your hand and ask a question of somebody you're familiar with mm -hmm. than someone you talk to once every six months or a year. Yeah. And so, we had yeah. our improvement advisors read all of our safety event reports every day. It was part of their job. So we didn't have a separate patient safety program apart from the improvement advisors. They were it. Um, and so you could see these relationships evolve over time. A manager would, would actually call their improvement advisor. Did you see that at safety event this morning? I don't know. What should we do? You know, it, cool. it, it, it works. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. Lee, do you have any advice for those wishing to get everyone engaged in the improvement process and, and owning their own analysis? What advice? Oh, 
everybody struggles with this, especially in the beginning, because everybody feels like they're running at 125 miles an hour and they can't possibly take on anything else. I think, you know, that old with them, what's in it for them. Start with things that make their day miserable. And there are a lot of patient safety things that make their day miserable. So pick those and give them permission to design them out of their day so it's no longer making them miserable. And they'll be yours forever if you can do that for them, you know. And start small, right? Yeah, start small. You need to find something that you know you can probably fix so it'll be a win. Because you're you're looking for that aha moment like mine was way back in the day when I went, this stuff works. Get out of here. You know, that's that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Good. Thank you. And so any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Oh, you know, hang in there. Um, there's there's a woman. Her name is Helen Bevan. She's the chief transformation officer for the NHS in the UK. She runs a online school called the School for Healthcare Change Agents. And she talks a lot about resilience for those of us who do this work and talks about the importance of cultivating your network of change agents because this is hard and it is a long, slow journey that takes a lot of advanced planning, you know, sort of yeah, that was my intent. I didn't tell you at the time, but 18 months later, you figured out where I was taking you. You know, yes. you need to cultivate your community. So reach out to colleagues, reach out to me, people in catalysis, and just rejuvenate each other, serve as sounding boards, places to vent, places to share ideas, because it's what keeps you going. You know, you bring up a good point that we haven't talked about. Maybe that's a, that'd be a good panel discussion is psychological safety for the change agents, yeah. for the yeah. process improvement people. Because yeah. we talk about psychological safety for the caregivers, but that's a unique concept is, and again, as you know, that's our mission is to build a community mm-hmm. so that there is that that mm-hmm. reinforcement within the catalysis mm-hmm. community. Yeah. So that's a that's a really good point. And thank you for sharing that. Sure. And and I want to thank you again for taking the time. I know you're traveling in New York today as opposed to being in Massachusetts. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time and recording this and being our, uh, I think, our first repeat non-catalysis staff member on, on the, the yeah, line. Yeah, so. no, it's my pleasure. It's always fun to talk to you guys. Always. Yeah. And I want to thank all of you for listening to help build our community of advocates for healthcare improvement. And if you have any questions or ideas, just email us at events at createvalue.org. And also you can visit createvalue.org to learn more about the Catalysis Healthcare Value Network, which is part of our community, and how your organization can join our community to learn, share, and connect with other organizations across the country. Also stay tuned for more episodes that are designed to help healthcare leaders support their organization on the journey to organizational excellence. Thank you for listening. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens to learn more about how catalysis can inspire you to accelerate change in your organization.